0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel podcast. You can't celebrate or acknowledge Black History Month without addressing the black travel experience. There's a long history there that continues to this day. And this week I'm talking with Dr. Gretchen Soren, the author of Driving While Black, African American Travel, and the Road to Civil Rights. And trust me, Soren goes way beyond the movie The Green Book. It's an ongoing story, in many cases an ongoing struggle, an ongoing challenge, and as many of my African-American friends are quick to remind me in terms of their own travel experience, there is that uh, quasi-crime, and I use that in quotes, of traveling while black and uh, how they've had to adjust to America's own sordid history as they try to do what the rest of us white folks do, which is enjoy the freedom and the opportunities of of travel. And joining me now, someone who knows a little bit about this, she's the author of Driving While Black, The African-American Travel and The Road to Civil Rights, Dr. Gretchen Soren. Doctor, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: You know, you and I were talking offline before we came on the air, and I'm saying that so many of my friends, who I, I think were reasonably intelligent and well-read, uh, they came out of the movie the, the Green Book somewhat shocked that this was still their America, that this really happened. And and of course, if you really deep, you know, dig deep into the movie, it wasn't really about the Green Book, was it?
2: No, it really wasn't about the Green Book. It was really about the relationship between an artist, um, a piano player, and his driver. But it was, a, it was a true story. That much was accurate.
0: You know, I remember for reasons. I really can't tell you the reasons for it, because it, it, then it'll all be about me. But but uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, when he was touring with his band in the 40s, uh, he had not only Sammy Davis with him at some times, but he had other black members of the orchestra and they'd be on buses, and they'd pull into towns, and you know the hotel would say they couldn't stay there because they were blacks in the group. And Sinatra, to his credit, refused to stay at those hotels um, and, and would only go to the hotels that would accept all of them. But that was really the exception to the rule, wasn't it?
2: That was the exception. The same thing happened to a lot of performers. African Americans were allowed to play in hotels. They were allowed to perform but they weren't allowed to stay in those same hotels. And some of them would end up sleeping in their cars, or they would uh, finish their gig for the night and then drive to the next town where they were going to perform. Baseball-
0: well, you know, that br- that brings up my next point, because what you're what you're alluding to is the automobile in, 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 in the American life of black travelers had another function. In many cases, it, were, it was their sleeping quarters.
2: Right. Um, and it was also their eating quarters, because you couldn't... Uh, go to a restaurant as well, because restaurants were segregated. So you would carry your food with you in the car, um, and you would you would eat it in the car, or you would eat it by the side of the road. So it was really, it was like you're rolling home away from home.
0: Now, I know you did your dissertation on the Green Book, so you know everything about it. I have to ask a really stupid question. Is it in any way, shape, or form still being published?
2: Um, It's not still being published. It went out of business. The Green Book went out of business in 1966. But people have been sending me um, modern versions, and there's actually a a modern version of the Green Book out on Twitter. But it's different. It's been changed. It's it's showcasing black businesses and encouraging people to buy from those businesses. But there have been some publications that people have put out warning um, African-American travelers about dangerous places. Um, places in the United States that are um, dangerous in terms of you know, constantly getting stopped by law enforcement or places that it's really kind of dangerous to go through because uh, it's, they're perceived as white spaces and white people won't like it if you, if you travel in those places. So there are you know, you, you, there's still that kind of racism in this country.
0: And from an online perspective, I'm still seeing a lot of information coming online from different affinity groups in America, whether they're L B G T two or or um or or basically African American or American Indian, uh, where they're basically saying these are the African American friendly hotels. These are the Indian-friendly hotels, it's no different, I hate to say it, than a guide that would come out and say, these are the, the pet-friendly hotels, if you would, um, because people are desperate for that kind of information for the for the very reason you point out, because racism in this country is still very much a part of our lifestyle.
2: Right, and people are finding that when they stop at certain places, they're not as welcoming as they should be, um, and that people make determinations based on um, just looking at you and, and the color of your skin
0: you know we talk about stereotyping we talk about you know assumption being the mother of all screw ups which it is i remember a story that happened to me i was with a group of friends in a hotel and ironically it was in atlanta where you'd least expect this to find in terms of the actual racial proportion of the of the of the workforce and we were sitting uh, in a lounge at a hotel and an african american gentleman came over who knew me, by the way, but didn't know the other people, and they didn't know him, and they just thought he was a busboy. He was the general manager. Wow. And, you know, it was sort of like, hello. And I'm sure you see that in terms of hiring all the time, because as you take a look at the breakdown of the workforce, even pre-pandemic, uh, it was still rather disproportionate.
2: Absolutely. this is that, that That's a terrible story. I've also heard uh, stories about people who are, um, still being stopped in their cars because they're driving uh, a nice car. So uh, someone, actually a, a white man, sent me a story that he had experienced where um, a, a local black surgeon who was driving a Mercedes had his car stopped because the police thought, you know, why is a black person driving such a nice car? And he said, well, I'm a surgeon. Um, and the, the police laughed. They didn't believe that he was a surgeon. Um, and they didn't believe that he should be driving that nice a car.
0: Well, I have my own story I'm going to share with you. Now I'm white, but my partner, when I was at Newsweek, I was the, the, the I was the reporter, he was the photographer. We were a team, and you know, here I was uh, a guy with a beard and long hair driving a VW bus, and he was the blackest black guy I've ever known. He wore <laughs> a cowboy hat, and 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 we were a team at Newsweek for years. I only found out later that behind our backs, I'm not kidding you, they used to call us the hippie and the spook. Oh, my God. Oh, wait, it gets worse. One night, we're driving down Sunset Boulevard after we had just done a story on racial diversity in the LAPD. It was a positive piece. And we were going to the restaurant. And as I'm driving down the street, I look behind me in the rearview mirror and I see a, a police car move over four lanes to get behind us. And I said to my friend Lester, I said, you have any unpaid parking tickets? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he said, no. I said, well, and then I looked up again in the rear view mirror, and there were two cars behind us. Now, you know, you got to be cool because they hadn't turned on their lights or their sirens. You got to make believe that they're not following you, but they are. Right. And we drove a little further. And next thing you know, there are four of them behind us. And at this point, I'm saying, please pull us over. This is getting silly. Wow. And, and sure enough, sooner or later, the lights and the sirens came up. The other two cars came alongside of us. Guns drawn. Guns drawn. And I was pushed to the ground on one side. He was pushed to the ground on the other with our face smashed into the cement by boots. And I finally said to one of the officers, would it make any difference if I told you we were both correspondents for Newsweek magazine? And they laughed. And they've oh. got into my car, said, "Look at my ID." They looked at the idea, and then they went, uh oh And when they, they, when they let us stand up, I took a look at these guys, including one of the officers who we had just interviewed for the story. How about that? And I said, "Did you know we were in the car? Yeah. And why did you pull us over? Well, the liquor store just got pulled just got robbed by a white guy and a black guy. And I said, "And you knew it was us? Yeah. And why did you pull us over? Well, you fit the description. It wasn't me. It was Lester. They were pulling over the black guy, and yeah,
2: just, just any white guy and been black guy. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I was the honor. Excuse me, I was the honorary black guy that night. Wow! <laughs> oh, wow! But but I mean, and that was 1976. And you know what? I don't know if that's ever changed. You know, um, the Obama
2: administration produced a report on policing in America that had they had a task force. Um, and they included a lot of police chiefs across the country and chiefs who are doing some really interesting things. And the report is online. Anybody can find it. Um, and I, I guess for the last four years, it really hasn't been uh, uh, it's been just gathering dust. But I think it would be useful if the Biden administration pulled that report out and and looked at the recommendations, because there are some very positive recommendations there. And one of them is that, you know, in every municipality, you do not need people with guns to police traffic problems. So, for example, if somebody is speeding, that can be done electronically. If somebody is, if somebody has You're a right. taillight out, um, you don't have to have someone with a gun drawn um, telling them that their taillight is out.
0: My thanks to Gretchen. Victoria Walker, travel reporter at The Points Guy, talks about the emergence of a modern digital green book and the true black game changers in the travel industry, as well as some of her best and worst travel experiences around the globe. Some surprises here. All this month, we're celebrating and acknowledging Black History Month, but particularly as applies to the black travel experience, not just in this country, by the way. But, in other countries around the world, with other nationalities as well, a little bit later in this hour we 'll go over and talk about the French black travel experience, which is also quite interesting. Joining me now uh, victoria walker she 's one of the travel reporters at the point sky uh, she 's an award winning journalist, but more than that, in nineteen excuse me, in two thousand and seventeen, I was about to make her very old in two thousand and seventeen, she founded Vicky Ventures, where she wrote about her experiences traveling as a black woman. And in fact, in five years, she traveled to over 25 countries on four continents. And she's racked up, well, of course, she works for the points guy, hundreds of thousands of miles in the air. Victoria, welcome.
3: Thank you for having me, Peter.
0: <laughs> so stop laughing. <laughs> but let's get down to, in not the past, but let's get back to the present. In the last, let's say, paint a picture for me. Just stay in the last 18 months, because we've been through so much. In terms of the black experience, whether it's policing, whether it's diversity, whether it's uh, whether it's crime or the lack of it, whether that's law enforcement or the lack of it or selective law enforcement. And every one of those things I just mentioned has a travel application, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. Uh, it's been a obviously a very trying uh, couple of months. Uh, especially 2020, looking, you know, back from 2020. Um, but the, you know, Black History Month with um, the Black travel experience, there's so much to say. Um, and not just, you know, you know, Black history of the past, but also Black history of the present, Um, I think about when I think about Black History Month as it relates to travel, I think about the travel companies making Black History even now. So I think about travel companies like Nomadish Travel Tribe, which serves as a sort of digital green book in a way for travelers of color um, to help them navigate uh, the very different and unique experiences that you have as not just a person of color while traveling, but, you know, particularly a Black person traveling. And then I also think about thinking more so um, about the pandemic. I think about um, a woman who I interviewed in uh, December named Kristen Kitchens, who is the founder of uh, Sojourn Accommodations in Miami, who offered up her hotel um, when it became very clear that travel was going to be affected by the pandemic. She offered up her hotel as a homeless shelter. Um, And so, you know, there, there. there's so much to say about black history and, you know, travel. And, you know, these are very, um, you know, regular people making extraordinary strides.
0: Um, as well, Victoria, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the, the digital green book, the latter day digital green book. The one thing that I think is interesting about that is that as opposed to the traditional original green book, the digital green book can be almost instantaneously updated. Can it?
3: Absolutely. I mean, and and with nomadic travel tribe, it serves as a Facebook group, and so often you can go on, you know, the Facebook group, and you'll see uh, tips and tricks about how to, you know, navigate different spaces around the world. And when I think about locations that I want to visit. Um, at any given time, I always check the No Madness Travel Tribe Facebook group because I'm very curious to see um, how people have been perceived in, you know, other parts of the world. Um, and so it does, uh, it does function very much like a digital green book. Um, I've had experiences where I've run into members of the Facebook group abroad or, you know, given tips about, hey, stay at this hotel or go to this restaurant. Um, just from being a part of the Facebook group. Um, and so, again, it, it does very much function as a digital green book uh, for,
0: you know, those of us in the 21st century. But in the five years that you traveled to 25 countries on four continents, what were the biggest, by destination if you can, the biggest surprises to you where you felt you were going to be welcome and you weren't, or you felt that you were going to be completely discriminated against and you were, you were greeted with open arms?
3: Um, I would say, um, to answer your first question, um, I was very surprised about how I was treated in Thailand. Um, I've been to Thailand now twice. Uh, The first time I went, um, I was, it it wasn't that that I felt necessarily unwelcome. It was um, feeling like I was being stared at like a piece of meat. And um, there is um, that I later found out a uh, pretty uh, widespread um, prostitution um, um, kind of culture in uh, Bangkok where we went. Um, and um, unfortunately a lot of them are black women. And uh, one of the very first experiences I had was somebody propositioning me. Um, and, you know, it, it's not a comfortable feeling. It's not it's something that you want to experience ever traveling. Um but uh, to answer your second question, um, I would say I had the best experience um, in Mexico City, which I visited just before uh, the world shut down in March. Um, and you know, my Spanish is not great, but I felt completely welcomed with open arms. People were you know, happy to uh, <laughs> converse with me in my very limited Spanish. I tried to, you know, order uh, food in Spanish, and you know, after <laughs> After some kind of friendly ribbing, <laughs> after some friendly ribbing, um, folks would help me with my accents and you know give me directions. Um, and I mean, it was a really great experience. Um, it's well, one Victoria, of my...
0: just 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 repeat after me: "Donde está el baño?" I know.
3: "Donde está el baño?"
0: But before we run out of time, then there's one icebreaker that I read about that you talked about, which I think is not even. A racial icebreaker uh, barrier. It's it's a just an icebreaker, and that is your dog. Yes, his name
3: is Migo Walker, uh, Migo Jamison Walker. Um, he is a Craigslist baby. I got him on Craigslist, um, and he's very happy that I'm home <laughs> all the time and not on the road. Um, he it's, he's a pug, and pugs have a lot of separation anxiety. And so um, he is very glad that I'm not on the road, you know, two weeks out of the month. Um, and so I have nothing but time to play with him. He's but the here bottom very- line
0: is that when you're on the when you're on the street without him, maybe somebody doesn't talk to you. But when you're on the street with him, yeah, it's the, co- it's you know, the conversation I- starter. Victoria Walker. I- My thanks to Victoria. You know, I often like to think I'm pretty well traveled, having journeyed to and through 151 countries. The travel writer Jessica Nabongo has me beat. She's the first black woman to travel to every single country in the world, but she's not exactly checking off some bucket list. Yes, she's got some stories to tell. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners to the show, you probably know that I like to boast every once in a while that I've been to a lot of places. I've been to about 151 countries, in the world, but who's counting? Well, my next guest counted. In fact, she's got me beat. In fact, prior to the pandemic, my next guest traveled to all 195 countries over the course of two years. That is a nearly impossible feat, but she did it. Um, and uh, amazing story. Uh, please welcome, I'm telling you, I'm in awe. Jessica Nabongo, how are you?
4: Hi, Peter, how are you? <laughs> I'm good.
0: Wow. Now, not only did you get to all 105, you also have the title as the first black woman to travel to every single country in the world. So I've got to – I know I could ask the stupid question why, and you're going to say because they were there, but let's move on beyond – let's go beyond that. Uh, did you have a plan here? Did you, did you wake up one morning and say, I have to do this, and then – Here's what I'm hoping to accomplish.
4: Um, You know, I've been traveling internationally since I was really young. Uh, My parents are from Uganda. I was born and raised in Detroit. So my first international trip was at the age of four to Canada, which is right over the river. And then across the Atlantic was to Uganda with family. And so I grew up sort of loving travel because my parents instilled it in me. But also I'm a bit of a geography nerd. So I started my blog in 2009 and I sort of, counted countries from then. And I always wanted to visit every country in the world by my 40th. But in February 2017, when I was in Bali, Indonesia was my 60th country. I decided that I wanted to try to finish um, the remaining countries by my 35th birthday. So I did 135 new countries in two and a half years.
0: You're a show off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Okay, your first trip was to Windsor, Ontario, and then to Kampala. That's a combination. Uh, But let's get beyond that because, as I said before, you've not only done 195 countries, you've done it as a black woman at a time in which, okay, there are 54 African countries, you and I both know that, and there are other countries in the Caribbean but then there are a lot of other countries that may not have always been that that welcoming.
4: Yeah, you know, I, um, I always say just because there's an absence of blackness doesn't mean danger or that people won't be welcoming. There's really only two countries that I would say weren't welcoming, and those were Moldova and uh, Belarus, and I can't necessarily say it's because of my race, um, but quite frankly, I have been met with open arms. Like, I love, um, I had such an amazing time And North Macedonia, what's what it's now known as. Um, And in much of Eastern Europe, I loved Bosnia. I loved Serbia, which I did solo and had a ball there. So, you know, I don't think for me, I didn't feel that the absence of black people in a certain space um, meant that it was automatically unwelcoming.
0: Let me reverse it. I've always felt that the presence of blackness doesn't mean danger. How about that? Oh, Uh, yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, say that again.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But let's add one more part of, of the dimension here. Forget the fact that you are black. You are a solo woman traveler. So you... So that's also gotta fit into this.
2: Yeah,
4: for sure. So I did 89 countries solo on all six continents. And and I think what, was, what most people will find surprising is that I often felt the safest in Muslim majority countries. I found in particular, I think a great co- compare and contrast is Pakistan versus India. Obviously, um, Pakistan being a conservative Muslim country, I did both of them solo and felt much more comfortable in Pakistan by myself as a woman than in India. And I think overall, of course, there's a few hurdles and you know, inappropriate behavior from men, which is a global issue. Yes. Patriarchy. But for the most part, you know, I absolutely felt safe traveling on my own in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, Europe, um, um, North and South America.
0: Of the countries you, you mentioned, and we just included Pakistan, what was your biggest surprise where you weren't expecting to either like it or be liked?
4: Uh, you know, I really had an amazing time in South Sudan. It's a country that previously, I don't know what the, you know, the State Department list has changed now because of COVID, but it was definitely on the list of countries do not, to not visit um, based on the U.S. State Department And I had such an amazing time. I met so many characters and I spent several hours in a cattle camp. Cattle is incredibly important to um, the Dinka people there. And it was just an amazing experience. And the best part is being able to share my experience there um, via Instagram and to sort of give people a different idea for a place. And I really feel like what I've been able to do as a storyteller through the entire journey is to get people to think differently about these places um, and not always look at it from a negative or patronizing perspective.
0: I've been in the South Sudan, I've also been in Khartoum. Oh, it's, I love Khartoum. <laughs> Oh, my God. When I was first in Khartoum, it was as if they evacuated the town but didn't tell 55 million people. It was, it was, it was wild and crazy. Uh, but you know what? I don't regret the opportunity, and I don't regret the experience. Amazing. I know. So you now do a blog and tell us about the blog and how people can, can access it.
4: Yeah. So my blog is the catchmeifyoucan.com. So you can access it there. And then um, Instagram is also a great place to find more of my images. And that's the catch me if you can as well.
0: All right. Now, having said 195 countries, have you done all 50 states?
4: I have not.
0: Aha, busted. <laughs>
4: <laughs> i've done 43 states so well, let me
0: let me guess let me guess you haven't done north dakota yeah <laughs> i knew it i knew it you know who else did you know who else didn't do north dakota for a long time you no no barack obama oh. and, and he promised before his, the end of his presidency he'd go there and you know what i think about a month before he gave up the office he did he, he finally got so you have time you can do it
4: okay I'm, I'm planning to do it um this year i'll do a road trip to finish off six on the mainland and then fly to Alaska.
0: All right. So which of the six on the mainland other than North Dakota?
4: South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska, New Mexico, and Kansas.
0: Okay. And you know what? You're going to be surprised in all of them. I'm lucky enough to tell you that I've been to all 50 and I've never been disappointed in any of them. I've always been surprised but never disappointed.
2: Oh.
4: Oh, that's really exciting. My last one was Oklahoma in December and I got to meet a third generation black cowboy named Troy Johnson. And it was such an incredible experience. And so eye-opening because number one, I know nothing about rodeos or cowboys. Um, and number two, there's such a beautiful history of black cowboys all over the United States.
0: And most people don't even know where the black cowboys were. They were in Florida. They were in Oklahoma. Of course they were in Texas. They were, they were also in New Mexico and Arizona and people don't know that.
4: Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, the, the U S is such a diverse country culturally you know i think obviously right now we think a lot of about things in black and white but there's so many subcultures in america that i wish more people would explore and that's what they enjoyed exploring so i did like 24 states not all new but i did about 24 states last year on a road trip and it was incredible like my favorite thing was probably learning more about the Geechee um Gullah culture in south carolina
0: amazing My thanks to Jessica, to Victoria Walker, and to Gretchen Soren. And my thanks to you for listening to this Eye on Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and believe me, there's a lot of it, just log on to PeterGreenberg.com.
1: Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondry Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist.